Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Ask the Industry podcast, episode 69. For those of you new to the show, my name is Simon Kane, and this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the worlds of stand-up, comedy, radio and today, the live circuit. Michael Redman is an Irish comedian best known for playing Father Stone in Father Ted. His signature deadpan delivery and style has helped him carve out a very interesting career as a very dependable comedian, but also a very, very skilled writer. I got him on the podcast to talk about what it was like in Ireland when he started, how he thinks it's developed now, why he thinks it's developed, why he moved to London, and then why he moved to Glasgow, how being on Father Ted impacted his career, and also how being featured in a joke by the comedian Stuart Lee about how Joe Pasquale's stole one of his jokes impacted his career and his thoughts on why that joke even came about and and so so much more i think this one's going to be a really interesting one for a lot of people who want to know a bit more about how the circuit's developed why it's developed and the history of it as well as how to get things commissioned when you're not as high profile as the people that you started out with or not as high profile as the people that are getting commissioned at the moment i should very quickly say that this podcast took place on my tour day in glasgow that had to get cancelled I stupidly booked a room in a pub that got featured in an article in a local magazine, I think it was the Scotsman, as one of the top five places in Glasgow to watch the match. I think it was Scotland or Glasgow. There was there was a local team playing a match. And the venue I booked got featured in an article saying that it was the best place to watch it. And as a result, uh, I got no audience. <laughs> but uh, me and Michael decided to do a podcast as a result. We had it planned for after the gig, but uh, he turned up and we did it a bit before. So as a result, you can hear in the background, there are people yelling because there's football going on. And in the last five minutes, there's a dog that comes in just to get away from the football because it was building them up and getting them all rowdy. So that's what the background noise is. I've tried to minimize it. It really doesn't get in the way. I've listened to this about six or seven times editing it. So as a result, I think it's fine and I think it's really usable. But I just wanted to qualify that and put it out there before I say anything. I'm going to say much more, but very quickly, if you're new here, please hit the subscribe button. Also, if you're not so new here, but you have a minute to leave me a review please leave an honest review in itunes that really helps out and don't forget to join the facebook group where you get the opportunity to ask your questions to all the future guests but we're now without any more delays this is michael redmond because i ask who ask everyone who the most underrated person in the industry yes is. Yeah, yeah. and he said you okay cool yeah. <laughs> he's taking that very much in your stride <laughs> well it's, it's a compliment really isn't it yeah but, in a way <laughs> but like he what he's saying there is 
you know, I mean, what, he, but he was your agent for a while. Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so you were doing a lot of corporate work. Not at that time, no. He wasn't. It wasn't so much a corporate uh, agency then. I mean, he did bits and pieces, but it wasn't really that kind of thing then. I think it's more or less a hundred percent that now. Okay. As far as I know, anyway, I haven't seen it for years. I was doing a gig in London a few weeks ago, and he told the promoter he was going to come down, but he didn't. Never did. So and it would have been just a social thing, anyway. It wasn't kind of like yeah, I don't need an agent. So no, no, no fair enough. Yeah, oh, you don't have an agent now. Though. I do have an agent, but I don't need one. Is what I'm saying. So oh, the only reason he w- for him coming would have been just to say hello and have a drink, kind of. You know? So you have an agent, but you don't think or you don't you know you don't need one, or you don't think you'd need one. Uh, I don't need one. No, no, no. Why do you have one then, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, for writing, it's more writing than. Oh, okay, yeah, fine. Oh, so yeah, you yeah. don't need one for live work? Oh, no, 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 no. No, so you don't need an agent for live work either you know the the clubs either book here or they don't really <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's what I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, more and more either yeah, way yeah. Jeremy's episode was a bit different to the ones that normally have a comedian on ok well I mean I'll just go with the flow anyway so it's okay. fine yeah, I mean don't worry I don't have to know the format I mean, ok uh, fair enough then when you started out in Dublin uh-huh. what was the scene like now versus when you left well I don't, I don't know whether you want that because I mean there was hardly anything in Dublin I think I did about six gigs in Dublin so I don't know whether you want that to be the first question or not there wasn't really there was nothing there was no comedy clubs there was just one for about six weeks and that was it so how did you start I went to London Oh, you just moved. Yeah. You did six gigs and moved. More or less, yeah. yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. So that mightn't be the best first question for you. Oh, no, that's maybe the first best first question would be when I went to London. Maybe I don't know. Well, be a bit more meat in that, you know. Th- that's interesting though, because why do you think there was a reason why there wasn't a scene there? There was hardly any comedians, really. That was why, you know. I mean, it was just me and uh, a guy called Kevin McAleer. I don't know whether you've ever heard of him. That was about it, really. There was a few others that you know sort of didn't carry on. Because when I, when I told, uh, I posted in my group saying, yeah. you're coming on, and a lot of British Irish comedians were yeah. like, oh, he's the guy from Father Ted, he's, yeah, you yeah. know, like, and they got really excited about that, and yeah. they said that, that was a really big thing for the Irish scene. And yeah. was it was it just there wasn't really one, and then that came but that was When Father Ted was 94, I went to London in 87. Okay. <laughs> so it was uh, the big gap in between yeah. when I went to London and when Father Ted came about, you know. So, yeah, but I presume there must have been other Irish comedians, because they, they, they were all in that sort of group when they did that show, or is it? Not. Well, the, the Dermot Morgan was, um, he, he was kind of a comedian, but he was more an impersonator, a comedy actor. And um, Ardell didn't come along until a few years later. I mean, he came to London, I don't know exactly, but I remember him asking me to see if I can get him some gigs when he came. I don't know when that was, probably early 90s, maybe mid-90s, I don't know. Father Jack wasn't a comedian, he was a comedy actor. You know? The same as Pauline McLean, she was a, she's a comedy actor. So they weren't all stand-ups. I mean, a lot of the guests were stand-ups, like myself and Joe Rooney and... Patrick McDonnell, who played the Daniel O'Connell, Daniel O'Donnell character, and um, they were stand-ups, but the actual core of the show, Ardell was really the only actual stand-up, I suppose, really. Dermot slightly. He did live stuff, but he wouldn't call him stand-up more, um, sort of a, kind of Rory Bremner of Ireland, really, that kind of, okay. he was a great impersonator, you know, okay. satirist, sort of. So you did six gigs-ish? Yeah, around that, yeah. And yeah. then moved to London? It wasn't as straightforward as simple as that, but more or less, yeah. There's, there's nothing really to talk about, you know. There's, I mean, I did. I think, the, I think the guy who ran the club for six weeks then did a showpiece for a couple of gigs, and then that was it, really. Yeah. Okay. So and why did you pick London out of all the? Because I knew there was comedy clubs. I, the guy Kevin I mentioned earlier, Kevin McAleer, he'd already gone to London and he'd come back on holidays, and I'd met him, and he said there's a loads of comedy clubs there, you know. So that was the reason. So prior to starting in comedy, what were you oh, doing? Very boring jobs, like uh, very middle class. I was up in a very sort of middle class residential area I mean I didn't mind it it was quite pleasant you know I'm not, a, not one of these people who rages against their middle class background it was quite pleasant you know mm. but it's kind of everyone in my school either went to become a study to be accountancy or insurance or become a lawyer so I went into insurance <laughs> 
And so, you, so your insurance not enjoying it? No, no, I hated it. No, I mean, I went to, I, mean, I just kind of uh, went sort of, I, I would go, to, I'd have a job for about two years and then leave because I couldn't bear it anymore. And then I'd have to get another job because I had no money, basically. So, Did you always want to be a comedian? Then? No, not at all. No, I, I didn't see myself as a comedian at all because when I was growing up, the, my sort of concept of comedians was sort of, well, firstly, it was your sort of guys in the workingmen's clubs with the kind of mother-in-law blue jokes or as somebody like you know Billy Connolly who was really in your face so the only time I thought that I could actually be a comedian I saw the American comedian Stephen Wright did you ever see him yes I know Stephen very, Wright, yeah. very sort of dry one-liners I saw him I think it was the Bob Monkhouse show I don't know what he was doing on the Bob Monkhouse right. I think he used to actually Bob Monkhouse maybe, maybe used to give a little spot to comedians that weren't that well known over here anyway and I saw him and he's just very dry one-liners and I thought when I saw him well I thought well I could do that as well you know, I didn't necessarily, necessarily as well but I mean because I my concept of comedians was you know really in your face kind of thing or, or your mother-in-law merchant so I had no real uh, idea to be my, my initial sort of uh, sort of I suppose motivation was writing I liked writing comedy I liked writing gags because I used to write kind of satirical one-liners for a morning show the RT radio like kind of a similar to kind of Terry Wogan kind of jokey sort of morning show but I mean I couldn't make any money out of that you know then I sort of realised I'm going to have to perform as well you know? so I mean if I'd made money out of writing if, I, if, if somebody had said here's you know £10,000 a year I probably wouldn't have bothered performing so why couldn't you make money out of being a, was it just not enough work it's just nothing there I mean that was it I mean there was, there was no well, at that time RT didn't do any comedy shows it wasn't like I could submit material and hopefully get on that. it was just I just picked some sort of some topical items that were happening and sent in these gags you know because mm. Dermot Morgan had the father Ted guy he'd done the similar thing and he said he suggested that I should do that you know That's, it's interesting you say that um, your perception on what a comedian was was yeah. either in your face or yeah, mother-in-law, mother-in-law jokes yeah, yeah. because I was talking to a female comedian the other day about yeah. whether the perception on women comedians starting because there's less yeah. of them that it seems like it's less obtainable so yes, some yeah. of them might not start yes of course yeah, yeah, and, yeah, I, yeah. and I imagine that's also had an impact on general comedians probably who, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Very, very probably yeah because yeah, um, yeah. if like if you, I see a lot of comedians on TV for example yeah. and a lot of people who started when I started that's what they want to do yes yes yeah, yeah. and so I suppose well, it's become much more of a thing now I mean you know people are w- aware when they leave school that they're you can become a comedian there's a big yeah. circuit and, and also because of the success of people like Michael McIntyre and the like they think well I could also I could also be a millionaire if yeah, I did yeah. it you know so there's a, there's a huge there's a lot more sort of publicity about it it's a lot more, more higher profile yeah but I think there's it, it's kind of hard for people to realise that only 1% maybe will be that yeah but you, you don't think that though I mean it's anything in life you just think I, I'm, I'm going to be the successful one don't you you don't sort of you don't go ahead and think well, I'm going to die in my arse you know because yeah, 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 yeah. be, otherwise you wouldn't get up there you know so, so when you started was your aim to be the next Stephen Wright then no not really I mean I wasn't I, I wasn't I didn't aim that high I just thought this is something I can do rather than work in a, a bloody insurance office right, That's right. Really, that was more my motivation yeah. at the time probably should have been higher but it was just more <laughs> that I can escape from this job going into an office every day from 9 to 5 you know because okay. when I went to London first I mean t- to me yeah it was just kind of a an emancipation really rather than how can I be a huge success I mean I did enjoy being quite successful but I mean that wasn't the motivation the motivation was more I can make a living without going into some horrible 9 to 5 job which I'd hated you know for 10 years <laughs> yeah I think I think that's the motivation of a lot of people yeah. who start at the moment yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. but I'm not quite sure that's the motivation of a lot of people now I think it's they almost go from school into it you know? mm. it's a different kind of a perception now I think you know? do you think it's easier now in that respect that it's there's kind of I mean, well it's, it's easier and harder because there's so many comedians now I mean when I, when I 
I started off in London there was only about 30 or 40 I think maybe not even that and I used to do the because I did very much one liners I was very suited to the comedy store and I used to work there nearly every second weekend you know oh cool because a lot of people wouldn't be suited to the comedy store you know because you have to really get the gags out you certainly did then anyway I don't know what it's like now it's pretty much the same yeah yeah and yeah. in terms of material turnover then because mm. if uh, often now when I get booked for clubs and stuff they yeah. have sort of a time period between when yeah, they so want well, you yeah, well, yeah it depends on the company, but the comedy store didn't matter because it's right in the heart of Leicester Square so they'd always have different yeah I mean, it was very, I mean there was only once I remember uh, I was doing my act and um, this guy stood up and said I was here last week and you did the exact same material <laughs> he obviously expected a new set from me yeah, within yeah. a week you know but by and large you could do you know you could, when you would want to change it for your own sake as oh, much, yeah. you know, but I mean if you really wanted to you could get away with the same material in the comedy store most weeks yeah so was it and I don't want to say it as flippantly as this but mm-hmm. for, for want of a better phrase yeah. you'd gone from doing a six week run at a club that someone yes, was running yeah, to yeah. London where there was by comparison at least an abundance of gigs yeah yeah how yeah. hard was it to progress to a stage where you could because I mean did you still have to get like a part time job when you came over here or what was no the I just signed on signed on oh, for okay. about yeah and for, I think it was probably for about maybe three or four months I think okay. but it was but it, it was much easier to get started then I mean nowadays I'm told you could take six months to even get an open spot so in some clubs months, yeah. yeah those days you used to there was the Time Out magazine is that's, I think that's finished now is it or is it, yeah. Time Out London doesn't cover uh, yeah well it used to cover all. It used to, there used to be a comedy section with all the comedy clubs and there would be a number to ring so I just was, I didn't have a mobile phone or even a landline so I used to just go to the post box or sorry the phone <laughs> box in uh, Turnpike Lane and spend sort of half the day there ringing up clubs but in most of the places you'd get, a, you'd get an open spot within a week or two and then if you did well you get booked within a month or two as well so it was, it was a lot easier from that viewpoint if you were going to it just took me it took me I think, I think I mean I wasn't dying but I wasn't doing very well it took me about a month maybe two I can't remember exactly to kind of really find my feet to know exactly what I was doing you know? mm. but, uh, uh, and so it took you three to four months to the stage where you didn't have to sign on yeah 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 because I could actually earn well I wasn't earning a lot of money but I could earn enough to get through yeah to get by yeah. and how, how often would you say you were gigging at that point it's hard to remember because I mean it's going back it's nearly what 20, 20 30 years 25 yeah. 30 years so, um, I mean I was gigging as much as I could put it that way yeah. probably about three or four times a week right. that was probably a mixture of open spots and small small paid gigs you know. I wasn't doing the comedy store then I waited for about a year before I did an open spot in the comedy store because I, I knew I wasn't quite ready for that you know. okay so, so there was sort of not a business plan but a, a strategy in your head for different clubs yeah I mean well certainly for the comedy store and jonglers yeah there was only one jonglers then it was the one in Battersea I don't know if that's still there or not it was, a, no, it was in Lavender Hill um, so they were the kind of prestige ones to get really right. but I waited a year before I tried either of them fortunately it went really well I mean, the guy in the comedy store and the guy in Junglers both really liked me so I was kicking you know if I wasn't in the comedy store weekend, I was probably in junglers. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't that. I mean, I, I'm not saying I was that great, but there wasn't that much competition, you know. I mean, even you know, I suspect if I was doing it now, even if they liked me, I'd still only get booked probably once a year or once every six months if I was lucky. You know? Yeah, I think that's a steep learning curve for someone at my yes, point yeah. in comedy. And yeah. that, you know, when when a promoter turns around to me and says, "I really like what you do," yeah. I'll put you in in eight months' time. Yes, in my yeah. head, I'm like, "Yeah, I, I know. You like what I did." Yeah, yeah. But but I mean, eight months seems like a lot, but it's not that much, you know. I mean, no. go quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. Yeah. And, and how long did you stay in London? It was about about 10 years on and off. I went back to Dublin for a very short while, but it was about 10 years in. Yeah. Okay, and yeah. you, you said about five years into effectively being a full-time comedian, you got offered Father Ted. That was 94, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, um, the guys, Graham and Arthur, had come to a show in the Bloomsbury Theatre. It, uh, it was an Irish sort of comedy evening. It was myself, Dylan Moran, and probably Ardell, I think. I can't remember, somebody else comparing. I don't know whether they specifically wrote the part for me, but they certainly had me in mind, I think, when they were writing that part, because... I was very one. I used to just do one liner and pause, 
and just stare at the audience. It wasn't a deliberate sort of uh, thought in my head to do that. It just happened. It just seemed to come across that because sometimes some half the audience might take them a half a minute to get it. So I'd wait for somebody to be laughing, then more might laugh. So I'd just wait, mm. stand there and wait. But it wasn't a kind of a deliberate sort of plan. You know, it just yeah. happened. Mm. How long did it take you to... Because obviously there's different types of laughter and, and, and yeah. different reasons why people laugh. Yeah. And sometimes... So when I, I used to do one-liners, yeah. sometimes I found when I stood there for too long, yeah. the reason they were laughing was out of awkwardness. Yeah, 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 because, yeah, because yeah. I've said something not funny yes, and yeah, I'm waiting yeah. for the... Ar- you know, there's, a different, there's a different sort of... Uh, sound to sympathetic laughter in yeah. I think you can tell oh yeah it took, it took yeah. a while for me to get yeah. used yeah. to that after about yeah. sort of six seven months or so yes, yeah. but I'm, won- I'm wondering like if you're not doing so open mics like the same way I would probably do open mics now yes yeah how say there's more people in the room yes obviously, uh, well, that was, well, that, yeah, that's why I, mean, you, I don't know you hear some comedians think oh god there's, I would be terrified doing a gig in front of 500 people it's a lot easier because mm. if there's if the 500 if there's 250 laughing that covers up the, any embarrassment but if you're doing it to 15 people and only 6 are laughing mm. then it's very awkward you know? so it's a lot easier doing it to more people I think anyway I've always found that way yeah yeah so uh, what, what was your reasoning for taking on the role of Father Ted well, it's because they offered it to me, and I thought I just saw the script and I thought it looked funny. And it's kind of uh, I, was, I was also very aware television exposure can help you quite a lot, you know. Okay. So um, yeah, I just thought it was a funny script, and I also knew Dermot and Ardle as well because uh, Dermot lived not far from me in Dublin. Mm. And we were kind of mates. I wouldn't say close mates, but we were matey, you know. And I knew Ardle from doing the stand-up circuit, so and it looked like a good script. So I thought, yeah, that, that's why. So, so in terms of exposure, what were you trying to? Were you trying to like elevate yourself at that point? Because no, I wasn't particularly trying to elevate. I just thought this is a funny script, and I thought this would be good to do you know I yeah. wasn't sort of sorry I mean I, th- I thought it would elevate me I mean any any time you do television sometimes even if it's crap to be honest <laughs> and I'm not saying Father Ted wasn't but mm. you could do crap television and still it can still <laughs> elevate you mm. and, uh, yeah, give you a much higher profile because the public don't have are not as judgmental if a show is crap they just think oh well that wasn't very good but they don't think they still recognise the face and the name you know interesting okay and so how did you find doing that show affected you and your no, not, not hugely from the I mean it, it, it took a while for the, the my profile was heightened even though it wasn't hugely heightened because I was only in one episode you know mm. it wasn't like sort of Ardell who was kind of in every and everybody knew mm. Father Dougal you know but it took a few years I mean it's I think the thing is that you see comedians doing Live at the Apollo you won't be remember them if they just do one gig at Live at the Apollo then they might get on um, 9, out of, 9 out of 10 cats is it or 8, 8 out of 10 cats and make an appearance then get on Have a Good News for you but it's usually until you've made about 5 or 6 maybe 7, 8, 9, 10 appearances that people start your name starts to click in so I mean the it wasn't until I think it was about two or three years later that people really started recognising me and kind of oh that's Father Stone the guy who plays Father Stone because the first two or three years after it went out there wasn't really much recognition at all it wasn't until it was repeated you know three or four times on Channel 4 that people began to recognise me more so and, and did that I mean did clubs start to like list you as no because oh, no, no well though if it depends what, what sort of a, if it was just a club yeah they might they might sort of say Michael Redman Father Stone from Father Ted to kind of create a bit of a profile yeah. well I don't think I was ever booked on the basis that I was in Father Ted but it did heighten my profile definitely yeah. and uh, in terms of because you were also booked as a priest on a voodoo phone that's right yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, I mean do, were you sort of getting typecast then or was like well definitely yeah I mean, yeah, but I suppose after Father Ted I was yeah because I did I played a priest on Brass Brass Eye as well so and also being Irish you know and if they're looking for a priest over here <laughs> and, uh, I've already played a priest yeah I suppose yeah but it, it didn't worry me particularly was, I mean I'm not really I'm not uh, I shouldn't really say this but I'm not really a versatile actor you know and the father Ted thing was they saw my stand-up and they wrote that part around my stand-up persona but I mean yeah I got lots of auditions
auditions and castings after Father Ted because people thought I was a proper actor, right. which I'm not. So I'm not. I mean, I can act within a very limited framework, basically being myself to a large extent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm not. I'm not a. You know, because I remember once doing an audition for some ad, and they said they wanted a, a deadpan sort of delivery. So I went along and did it, and the, you could see the guy wasn't particularly impressed because he said because um, it was some school teacher. It was a school teacher in the ad, and he said, "He said, could you be a bit more like a school teacher?" And I said, "No, not really." <laughs> <laughs> never been that no no I can't. I'm not an actor so it's a very limited framework you know like, but, but I'm not saying I'm not I'm quite good at doing that but that's, that's sort of the only type of acting I can do really we were talking before we started recording about so I did the stand on Tuesday yeah and when they were when, when I was about to record a fellow acts performance because they asked me to yes yeah they, they sort of tapped me on the shoulder and asked if I was allowed to do that because yes. they obviously didn't want that yeah. recorded and stuff. Uh-huh. I know you do a lot for the stand or you work a lot with the yeah, stand yeah well I do every Sunday yeah. I compare every Sunday yeah yeah, yeah. 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 And, and you were saying about people using other people's material yeah, no, not specifically at the stand I was speaking generally about that oh yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I mean it, uh, you you predominantly gig I presume in the in the sort of upper uh, as in what's it called I don't God, I know what will happen no matter how I describe <laughs> it in England <laughs> if I say Midlands and then they go oh, yeah. it's not the mid I know yeah. however I say this yeah, but you yeah. I assume you mainly gig n- north of yeah yeah yeah, yeah because it's just not worth my while I, mean, I, 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 so I was down in London a few weeks ago but that was because I had a meeting anyway so I put in a few gigs I didn't go down specifically just to do a few gigs because it's not worth it really financially it kind of covered some of my expenses and I was down there anyway so it's fine but yeah if I'm gigging in England it would be mostly in sort of Newcastle mostly or maybe somewhere near the border you know occasionally well, so Manchester so have you have you noticed that happening on the scene or sorry what happened you, a, a joke theft or, or joke borrowing I've uh, I've heard I mean I haven't I haven't experienced it myself but I've, I've heard of other people talking about it that uh, I mean there's one I won't mention any names because it's, it's not right mm. but um, I know of one particular comedian who whose act was ripped off by a television comedian yeah and I mean I don't know whether that television comedian was given this material by one of these writers who's you know heard that material and then thought oh Hmm. I'll pretend I've written this you know but it, it, it did happen to me with the Joe Pasquale thing. I don't know whether you want to come on to that now. Or do yeah, I, I was going to talk about yeah. that. Well, I expect that, that didn't really matter because I'd already done that gag on television. Right. So he looked stupid, you know, because he'd already, you know, he'd, already, he'd done it on television after I'd done it on television. So I wasn't nicked from the circuit. So it didn't really matter, you know. But what's happening now is that if you get a comedian whose material is ripped off by a television comedian, I'm not saying they're all doing it, I'm sure. So maybe, you know, maybe it might be just one or two. I don't really know. But if that happens, then that comedian comes along and does their material in front of an audience and they say, oh, that's such and such is material because they've seen it on television and they think that comedian's ripping it off you know that's the big problem with that is that if, yeah. if the comedian has got a bigger profile than you yeah, they nothing, automatically assume yeah it, is, it becomes their material because there's, no, there's nothing you can do about it you yeah. you've no comeback you, have, you can't copyright it you know well unless like you said you had a recording of yourself. even if you did nobody's going to bother I mean you know there's no law you know so I mean you can't go along to that comedian's agent and say here I've this me doing it in 1992 and the agent just say well I don't care really when because Stuart Lee did quite a big uh, yes. famous joke about Joe Pasquale he did a whole routine about yeah people say well, yeah. Yeah, they, they would just say what's Joe Pasquale doing in my garden <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. and yeah. in terms of you you said you didn't really care that he did that because he just looked stupid he looked stupid anyway and I mean I wasn't doing that gag anymore, anymore anyway because you know okay. so it didn't really worry me you know? if he'd ripped it if, he, if I hadn't done it on television and he'd ripped it off I would have been very irritated yeah. mm. well that's two separate questions so the first yeah. question was going to be did Stuart sort of mention to you that he was going to do that or did he did, did 
Did, I can't remember. I think he did, yeah, because I think he did. He had some. Um, I think he had. Uh, I don't think he mentioned to me that he was going to do a routine about it, but I wouldn't have minded anyway. I mean, it's, once again, it heightened my profile to a large, to a large extent. And I mean, he was also sympathetic to me, so why would I mind? You know, the first I heard about it was I think he had a, an article in the Sunday Times about it. Yeah, he talked about that yeah. in his set as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that, that's, that's the first I heard of it. Yeah, I couldn't imagine. So say if if I was in a similar position, if someone mm. bigger than me had done something like that to one of my jokes. Yeah, and then someone I don't. I mean, uh, I don't know. The pro- I've had this quite, I've had this debate recently with some people. Is that mm. I don't I've lost track of how people are perceived outside of the bubble of the industry that I'm in. Yes, of course. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, so like yeah. I think Stuart Lee, for example, is quite established. Yes. However, I went out with my mates who are not in comedy. Yeah, they probably haven't heard they, of him. They, they, yeah. no, some of them had, some of them hadn't. And yeah. Other than you know were like, oh, I think I've seen him do that TV thing, or you know, what I mean? like yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. so yeah. I, I sort of I don't know where he's at although I can well that was, that was my point about earlier that unless you're on television quite a lot I mean Stuart, Stuart is but he's kind of it's very been very intermittent mm. you know I, mean, I think he, there was two years in between one of the shows mm. one of the series so unless you're constantly there people just don't really notice you really to be honest and and if I, if I was in your position where someone mm. more on TV and prominent at the moment yeah. than myself is talking about a spat or, or a perceived spat between me and another comedian yes yeah I, I, I mean did it did, did other comedians say to you are you are you having a problem with this what was the nobody's nobody else no, the all I ever heard was that um, oh, I heard Stuart Lee doing that um, routine about Joseph Squally nicking your gag and it was very funny no they didn't nobody ever questioned me that if I'd be sort of slightly irritated about it which I wasn't but no nobody ever posed that question to me you were the only one oh, okay. <laughs> It's a good question. I see where you're coming from. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, because I, yeah. I just couldn't imagine yeah. how I'd react to, to that. Yeah. It's a bit like, who was it? Pear, who, who did the Pear Cider advert? Um, oh, I know what you mean. Um, the Mark Watson, was it? Mark Watson, yeah. Because yeah. he did he did a joke about Mark Watson's Pear yeah, Cider advert. Yeah, he used to sing Pear instead of Pear. Or yeah, something. exactly. Yeah. Stuff like that. And yeah. and uh, Mark obviously didn't know about it until someone yeah. told him about it. Yeah, but, that, yeah, but that's a different thing. That's somebody that's Stuart slagging Mark off. I mean, he wasn't slagging mm. me off. No, he was slagging off Joe. Yeah. So that, that, By the same token, it's... it's I say it probably would have been slightly offended if, you, if somebody was slagging me off yeah <coughs> then I would have to come back with something yeah I wouldn't just sit there and take it but it was the opposite with Stuart in this case but there's another story I mean I've told the story before about um, the Joe Pasquale thing I used to do another gag um, where I said I like going into news agent shops and saying excuse me is that Mars bar for sale and when he says yes I'd say okay I might be back later I still have a few other ones to see but about two I can't remember it was two or three years after this Joe Pasquale incident I turned on daytime television and it was some chat show with um, Des O'Connor I think it was I didn't turn it on to see Des O'Connor but it happened to be on and it was in the mid interview with some this young guy 15 or 16 and it became clear throughout the interview that as the interview went on that this kid wanted to be a comedian so Des O'Connor said tell us one of your jokes and he did well he, did, he, he more or less did the Mars bar joke he changed it to a sausage roll and a bakery instead of a news agent but it was the exact same gag but it was it was Joe Pasquale's son oh really yeah. <laughs> so they obviously have a list of my gags up on their kitchen board you know? yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean at least he made a little bit more of an effort to distract it like hide it away well it was, it was the exact same punchline and the exact same build up he just yeah. changed it from a Mars bar to a sausage roll and probably justifying it to himself though it's not the same guy because it's I said sausage roll not Mars bar which is which is nonsense you know um, I suppose it, what possibly happened was I left London at this stage so they probably thought this guy isn't around anymore so interesting because social media and stuff wouldn't have existed then and so no 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 were the scenes de- like detached from each other like because you where did you go you go straight to Glasgow or I went to Glasgow yeah yeah yeah, yeah that was 98 I think yeah, yeah so was it okay I mean okay well first of all why did you relocate if you it was all going so well and well I mean I I'd it wasn't at that stage I'd kind of got to the stage where it's sort of the thing is that what I did on stage it wasn't a character as such but it was a very specific persona it was this strange character wandering around doing strange things and I kind of discovered that by after I started standing in people's gardens there wasn't much more mischief I could get up to really so I kind of came to a bit of a standstill in my own in, 
in my own head really as, as regards where I could go from there and I couldn't couldn't really see how I was going to progress I was getting a bit fed up doing the circuit anyway and it, my, my girlfriend at the time lived was from Glasgow and we used to come up because we're two young kids as well so we used to come up to Glasgow quite a lot and I quite liked it so and she had parents up here so in London we were kind of isolated you know so it wasn't it was kind of a mixture combination of I was getting fed up doing the circuit and domestic sort of draw I suppose really How old were you when you started performing? 36 30 maybe 35 if you go back to Ireland but You said you were always doing the deadpan style It wasn't, a, it wasn't a as I say it wasn't a plan you know it's just I suppose I am naturally quite deadpan you know Yeah So I mean I do I do laugh I'm not a I don't sort of I'm not doer if you know what yeah, but no, yeah I'm, my I'm, natural I'm, style would be deadpan so yeah. that's what came out really yeah yeah I'm only asking because yeah. so I, I've seen you do stuff now uh, yeah. as in well not right now but as in yeah. in your, your sort of age bracket you are now yes and the deadpan thing works really well with that I'm yes. just wondering if when you were younger did it I mean was, it's was a strange it, thing I don't know I mean I wasn't aware because people think <laughs> I've, I've met some comedians that I used to know in London and they say you still look the exact same because their perception of me was quite much older than I was for some reason I don't because I also used to wear a Mac which kind of gave an older older man look and so I think people thought I was older than I actually was when I started even when I started in London I think people probably thought I was already in my 40s even though I wasn't Was it like a conscious decision to, to put on a Mac? I mean because It, it was the reason was that I mean I was, so I was very nervous I mean I was, I was terrified of audiences then but I, I, I did a sketch show in Ireland a TV sketch show in which I wore a Mac and I always used to get a laugh when I went on set so I thought um, that might be quite useful because it sort of fitted in with the strange character wandering around doing odd things you know so, so that's I did. I started wearing it because it got a laugh when I went on stage. That was the main reason, really. But it, fi- it fitted in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But it did, it did fitted in by coincidence with the rest of my act. And was that the same with the moustache? Yeah, well, I mean, I had the moustache before I did comedy. I had the moustache from my, sort of, was it my, since my mid-twenties, I think. But yeah, it, uh, it probably added to the kind of deadpan, otherworldly look, you know. But I wasn't, I didn't grow the moustache for comedy. No, no, no. <laughs> but it just worked, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever consider going with a stage name if you were going with sort of a, a, a weird character, as it were? Well, see, I wasn't, I, I never saw it as a character. I just saw, saw it as me, a kind of an extension of me, really. I didn't, right. and so I never thought, of, no, I never considered it because I, I didn't see it as a character. It just, it was, it was what came from me, but it, it was very, it was it was kind of a, from the point of view of a stand-up, a, a live set, it, it was it became very limiting after a while because I think, I think Stephen Wright had the same problem. Once you do just one-liners, it can, after 20, 25 minutes, it can get a bit, just too much, that's enough, you you know, you can, you, it's very hard to do a one-man show just doing one-liners. Uh, you've done one-man shows, though. Yeah, but I did kind of. Uh, I opened it up a bit to kind of you know sort of longer pieces, longer yeah. sort of skits, or if you like, or whatever you want to call them. And how obviously you were doing previews for those, I presume. Yeah. So yeah. was it just you broke it down into chunks, or how, how did you develop the style so that it worked for an hour? It's, it's, very, it's very, it's very hard. I mean, you, you don't know until you do it. I mean, I, I knew I couldn't do one-liners, so I tried to kind of slip in. I mean, it, it wasn't a total sort of break from my style, and that it, the stuff was still quite surreal and off the wall and sort of off the top of my head to a degree it wasn't kind of I didn't become topical or you know particularly observational if you like but it was kind of more stuff that may have lasted a little bit longer rather than just here's a one liner because I mean a lot, a lot of my stuff is, is a lot of them are gags still one liners within sort of longer pieces if you know what I mean because I remember I did, I did a gig um, it's about three months ago now and the guy who was supporting me was, was very much one liner and then we met we met some people at the train station on the way back and she said oh, yeah, contrasting styles are very interesting because I said to him you're one liner and you were more sort of longer pieces but they didn't realise that it was because I connected most of the one liners they didn't realise I was actually basically 
doing one-liners, but within longer sort of routines, if you know what I mean. So, so you sort of, should we say, and you can tell me if this is insulting, yeah. but you crowbarred a narrative into it that made it... Well, I, didn't, I, mean, I, I know what you mean. I, I probably maybe initially crowbarred it, but then, then it kind of got to the stage where I would write a gag and then I would see how I could put other pieces along to it and you know, just sort of add to it, you know, rather than possibly crowbarred initially. <laughs> and at the stage when you had just got full-time in London, how long mm. were you doing it? How long was I doing it? How, how long uh, sets were you doing? Oh, it was just 20 minutes. Right. I, yeah, I mean, for the first... It wasn't until uh, 1992, I think, that I did a one-man show at Edinburgh. So it would have been four years, yeah. And how, how long did it take you to develop that 20 minutes to a stage where you thought, for example? Well, actually, I think it was about, about a year because uh, I remember waiting a year before I went to the comedy store, as I said. But I had 20 minutes at that stage because I knew if I was booked, I'd have to, tw- there'd be no point in doing 10 minutes and then go along mm. and not being able to do 20. So I already had 20 minutes material after about a year, I think, yeah. As, uh, so for me I tend to go on with the amount of time I've been allotted yes. and one or two jokes on the back of my hand in yeah. case for example the next guy's late or yeah, yeah, something yeah. goes wrong or yeah. whatever yeah. I mean did you ever worry if you had exactly 20 and your slot was 20 if someone was running late you just you'd be like well the MC can it didn't seem to occur much in those days I don't remember that ever happening no it never entered my head to think oh god I better have 22 minutes or 25 minutes just in case no no no, no never sort of I mean I would write I would write as much new material as I could all the time for my own sake you know, because I liked writing gags as well. So possibly, if if it happened, I could have. Yeah, but I didn't. I didn't do it. Didn't think in my head. Oh my god, I better have another five just in case. You know, it's just this of me worrying for no reason. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't because I mean, if somebody doesn't turn up, that's it's not your problem. You know, it's not. No, but it's but more just for, just to, just to make it look good. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. How long were you performing in London before you got a management or, or were approached by? Management? Um, I think it wasn't very long. I mean, I think it was, it was almost within a few weeks of playing the comedy store. I think okay. I was signed by um, Vivian Claw from Richard Stone. Oh, I knew Vivian Claw. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it didn't last for long because she was nothing wrong with her. I mean, she did. It was, was it was just there was so many. She had quite a lot of other clients and things like that. And I was mostly on the circuit anyway. So I mean, didn't really. There was no real point, really, you know. Because in those days, there wasn't really very few people were doing one man shows or anything like that. So there was nothing really for her to get her teeth into, really. And then Jeremy signed me up, but I mean, he kind of he was looking more towards getting getting into. TV stuff, I think, because we tried a few, sort of, quite a few scripts over over a few years. Nothing came of it, but that was the kind of that was the plan with Jeremy, you know, to try to get something on TV for me to write a script and that, and I would be in it. You know, but uh, I, I, I think I hadn't really developed a proper style for writing a sitcom. Then it's, it's a very difficult, d- different thing to writing stand-up, and that there is gags, but the gags must come naturally rather than here's a gag. You know, it just doesn't seem right in a sitcom. You have to you have to kind of develop characters first, and then the gags will flow naturally from them. You know, it's a different uh, different style of writing altogether. Yeah. Were there many so like at the moment you've got like Live at the Apollo and, and yes. shows like that were there many yeah. shows at the time where you could have gone on and done There was only there was only Friday Night Live okay. which, I, which I did and that was 1989 I think And how did that like affect you? Oh it was good it? I mean that heightened my profile quite a lot but I mean, right. the, the problem was though that even though I was 38 then or something or 38, 39 maybe I still only had really 20 minutes maybe 25 on a good night so I still couldn't move out from the circuit and do you know a theatre show by myself because I didn't have enough enough stuff so I mean it, it slightly helped heighten my profile within the circuit but I was already doing the comedy store and jonglers anyway so it didn't really make enough like, you, difference you, you sort of made it in a way you know? yeah I'd yeah. already kind of yeah yeah so but that just kind of it's more prestige really because if you didn't get on that it would have looked you weren't that good really you know that was the only reason it sounds like and, and correct me if I'm wrong it sounds mm. like you'd gone from like you said not particularly being that interested in being a, a comedian and yeah. more being a 
writer to getting yeah. quite into wanting to be very good at stand-up yeah because I mean I, I mean I, I, it wasn't that I didn't want to be a comedian it just never kind of came into my head I mean it just wasn't sort of something I wasn't actually your, your sort of outgoing type you know so I didn't really I didn't think that I would become a comedian it wasn't sort of it just wasn't in my head I didn't specifically say think to myself I don't want to be a comedian you know, but it was more so the writing that lured me in first put it that way yeah. have you ever written for other comedians no I've never written for other comedians no no is that no. not being asked or just so, not want to do it or? Um, I mean I've never been asked no because there was no need for it. when I was in London there wasn't really any need for it I think I would find it hard because my stuff is very related to kind of what goes on in my head and I'm not sure if it would fit in because I say I don't write topical stuff and I don't really write observational stuff really I mean I still, it is observational to a degree but I don't sort of say you know hey have you ever noticed you know when you see somebody walking down the street kind of that kind of thing yeah. I don't really do that sort of material so it would have to be somebody who's very similar to me really for, for it to work I think so um, you'd hope there would be no one too similar to yeah, you yeah exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they'd be, be taking over my slot yeah, 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 so, yeah, yeah. so it never really sort of came into my head no okay and in terms of writing for TV and radio because yeah. you've done bits in those areas yes yeah, yeah. do you have a preference on TV or radio um, well TV's for two reasons it's higher profile and pays a lot better <laughs> but it's a lot harder to get into you know you can radio the pressure is, there's not as much pressure on radio producers as there is TV producers you know right. because it costs so much money to make a television program so they're not going to make a television program unless they're very very sure but a radio program you just go into a studio and all you need is four microphones or whatever you know? yeah. so it's not it's not going to cost that much and the actors aren't going to cost that much either so yeah I'm, f- I'm finding that out the hard way I had an mm. idea for a, a video podcast that I wanted to do yeah and uh, well we're, we're sat here I've got my mics and stuff yes, this is yeah. a fairly low cost yes of course yeah exactly I yeah, mean it yeah. costs time and effort and all that kind of stuff yeah but, but no, 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 technically it doesn't cost money yeah, 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 yeah whereas yeah. when I was investing time into videoing and learning how to edit videos and stuff I found out very quickly that I've really got to want it to be a video format in order to justify yes indeed yeah, 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 yeah. do you think that's got worse then as there have been more channels and obviously there's been more stress on TV producers to um, yeah the, the, yeah because well, the, yeah, there, it's a bit of both because I mean, the, there are other channels now when before it was really for the sort of stuff we did it was just channel 4 really you know that you have, well you don't have BBC 3 anymore do you that's kind of well, it's online I know but it's not on telly anymore is it do you think that gives you less of a profile then because or would that be something you wouldn't look into now because it's online I, I mean it probably wouldn't I mean I mean, I know I know my sons watch lots of things online rather than television so possibly it would give you just as much a profile I don't know wouldn't pay as well though. because it's not telly you know I mean, who, who's going to pay for it but, it but it's being produced by the same company that yeah but they wouldn't pay as much for stuff online nothing like it you know I'm not saying that's the main motivation no no but that seems, it seems yeah. weird that because a lot of the stuff that goes on TV now goes online later on on demand player oh well, that's a different thing though it's already been on television you know but surely it would have the capacity because they'd make it at broadcast quality which would mean that it could go on TV if it got enough views online for example yeah from that viewpoint yeah 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 exactly yeah but you still wouldn't I still do it yeah oh yeah oh no no right. I'm just saying you still wouldn't be paid more I, I don't paid. think so I don't think you would no I, I don't really know I mean I haven't done it so okay. I don't really know but I, I wouldn't imagine you would unless it's going on television first how, how often do you try and get something on the radio and TV now I had I had, I had a thing with Channel 4 it was uh, originally a radio thing I did for Radio Radio 4 uh, but they didn't go for it in the end but it was kind of it was in the sort of general mix near the end but they didn't quite get through and I have something else now with them so I'm waiting to hear about that so I kind of like to keep turning over as much as I can yeah and I'm writing a radio thing with another guy in Scotland as well is that, is that your agent that's helped you get that or you know them or? no I was, uh, I, was re- I was just commissioned because the guy knew about the radio thing and he liked the idea so I was commissioned and then my agent kind of did all the paperwork paperwork yeah uh, no he didn't get me the actual commission no okay so ju- just because I've never had anything commissioned and I'm yeah. assuming a percentage of people listening to this won't have either mm. so they contacted you out of the blue or they've been in contact 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Well, I kind of, I've kind of been in contact with them and kind of, you know, mooted the idea because he liked it from before. He, he knew about the, the Radio 4 thing. And, and so he, he sort of... It was, I was just commissioned to write a pilot. It wasn't commissioned to write a series, mm. you know. But it's still paid writing. Oh, yes, it's paid writing, which yeah, is great, yeah. 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 It's paid to write an entire episode, yeah. which is great, yeah. Mm. It's brilliant. I'm not complaining, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that he's not complaining. Yes, right? yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully I'll just get commissioned to write another pilot and then hopefully that maybe this might go through the next time. You just have to keep plugging away, you know. Will it be the, will it be a second pilot of the same series? No, it's a, it's, a different, it's a different idea I gave them this okay. time, yeah. yeah. I was trying to work out whether they might have seen that pilot gone, that doesn't quite work, we still like the idea of making another one. No, 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 they, they kind of, they, they commission you to write and then you kind of, you go through a production company and then the production company kind of script edits it and then decides, well, yeah, that's, we think it's ready now to show to Channel 4. But oh. um, no, if it doesn't go through, then you just have to come up with something else. At what stage do you take an idea to, let's say, uh, Radio 4, just because we're talking about radio at the moment? Yeah, so at what stage? At what stage, when you're, would you have written a script by that point or would you have just written like a, a sort of well you initially yeah you initially just give them a, a synopsis of what, what the idea is and how it might go so how it might develop you wouldn't you wouldn't write an entire episode for, from the point of view of getting a commission you just give them the idea and so and you'd, you'd email that personally not for your agent you just because you kind of have conversations well, with them, I, mean, I, mean, I probably would to my agent now yeah mm-hmm. initially no because it, well I didn't really have an agent then it was, uh, right. that's how I got the agent for, through the Channel 4 thing Th- your agent works for Channel 4 no 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 no, sorry work, no, 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 no. sorry I got confused no, no it's okay I, I didn't explain it properly I got commissioned by Channel 4 and then when I got commissioned I got an agent cause t- to negotiate fees and try and get a production company involved because I had no connection I no, I didn't know anybody in production companies at the time so that all went through the agent Yeah. so if I was submitting a script now I would put it through my agent Yeah. and do you, do you think your agent helps with that in terms of getting it it's, it kind of hides your profile yeah well yeah. I mean, for TV you almost have to have an agent right? because the production companies won't accept an idea unless you have an agent and then the TV companies won't accept an idea unless there's a production company involved right. so there's kind of 
almost three sort of process you have to go through before you can even get anywhere, you know. But yeah, it tightens your profile if you have an agent. Well, as I said, but it's almost, it wouldn't be vital for radio, I think. You could do radio without an agent, but I prefer to do everything through the agent. It kind of, you know, just kind of makes it easier, really. Yeah, someone a bit more organised than... Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You can just write the script. You don't have to do any yeah, negotiating, yeah. you know. So your, I assume your agent then only does your anything but live work? Yeah, it is, yeah. I mean, he, he might do some uh, some TV, if I'm, if I'm doing some TV, or as an actor, kind of, or as a performer on TV or radio, then he would negotiate that, yeah. But not live, not live stand-up stuff, no. And how, how do you see your relationship with them? Are you, are you, do they work for you? Do you work for them? What's the... I guess a bit of both, I'd say. I like to, I like to see it as 50-50, really. I wouldn't like to see it as one way or the other. I think you kind of, you help them, they help you, you know. That's the most relationships, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so hopefully it's 50-50. Yeah, yeah no, I, I just yeah. know um, some comedians see it as the title of manager. They manage what you want. And I know yeah. some people look at it as, as they're taking you on and doing the work because they have a, a, a direction they want to put you in, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I'm not sure that... I mean, yeah, that's you mean performers, you mean, from front yeah, of your yeah. live work. See, I'm not convinced agents can do much for you in that situation. I think if you... Unless you're live. Yeah, unless you're already high, unless you're already up there. I mean, if you if an agent goes to the comedy store and says, I have this performer, they're, they're going to say, well, sorry, <laughs> he needs to see him, you know. They're not going to say, okay, then. It's not going to make any difference. I mean, there are some clubs that it makes a bit of a difference. Really? Though, but I mean, not... It's changed a lot then since... I mean, certainly since I was doing it, I mean, there was no agents involved for live work at all. Okay. No, no, I mean, there are, there are some specific live agent bookers who just deal with the live diary of acts. But is that just because the acts don't have to ring, don't have to sort of deal, put it in their diary kind of, yeah. But I mean, could these agents actually get them a gig yeah. if they'd never performed there before? I don't have one, so I can't mm. comment. I can't uh, imagine a club is going to say to an agent, well, yeah, because you're an agent, therefore I'll, I'll give you an act to booking, you know, it doesn't doesn't seem to make sense to me. I think it's more they, they put in the legwork to get, the, so they'll contact the club and say, I'm booking for this person, yeah. will you have them? Not necessarily, I've got this act, so you should book them if that. Yeah. Yeah. But would they book them without seeing them though? I find that very strange because the act could be crap. But they, yeah. but they have to book them at some point without seeing them because unless they send in yeah, a video. Yeah, but you do an open spot though, couldn't you? Yeah, but then they've still not seen them. Well, they've seen them do an open spot, at least they've seen them, you know. Oh, okay, you mean to see them at another club and then book No, at the, their club doing an open spot. Yeah, but, I, but I'm saying if they if I got booked for an open spot at the comedy store, yeah, they they might never have seen me perform before they've booked me for that open spot. Yeah. So when you, so you said, would they book someone without seeing them? Technically, they would have not seen me. But that's an open spot, though. That's not booking. I'm, but, but booking, I mean, oh, I'm talking about just, oh, okay, we've, we've Oh, sorry, was our cross purposes, sorry. Yeah. yeah, we've got different yeah. definitions of booking. Yeah, sorry, okay. for me, a booking is an actual pay, getting paid to okay. do 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. Sorry. Just come off a massive amateur <laughs> on my own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but it's just my perception. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's maybe it's just called a booking now. I don't know. I, but before, yeah, it was called either I'm doing an open spot or I'm booked. I just call any time someone books me to do pay, like yeah. any time someone books me to go on the stage, yes. I call that a booking. All right, okay. And any time someone well, pays may, me may, to may, do Maybe it. the terminology has changed then, you know. No, I, yeah. I'm just probably not as far along as you. <laughs> and <laughs> and but yeah, I mean, I could see agents ring up and say, I have this guy in my book, can, I, can he do an open spot? Yeah, I can see that. Them just sort of basically ringing up instead of you ringing up yourself. But you could easily ring up yourself and do the exact same yeah. thing. So they're not really doing a job in that circumstance, you know. So how much admin would you say you do? a week in terms of getting your live diary going? Very little, I mean, because, as I say, I don't gig down south much more anyway, so I mean, I don't really have to ring people up, because they already know 
people who are booking know if I'm good or not. So I mean, if they have a space, they'll book me. If not, me ringing up isn't going to make any difference because they'll already be booked. You know. <laughs> so. So most promoters approach you. Yes, yeah. I'm mean, looking in that sense. I mean, I realise when you're starting off, you can't do that. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they wouldn't down south because I'm not. You know, I've been, it's been so long since I've been down there on a regular basis. So, but when I went down south uh, last month, I just rang the promoters that I'd worked with before. There's still some um, clubs there that are, were actually there when I was starting, like the Bearcat and Twickenham. And have you ever been there? No. Uh, I know of it. Yeah. Yeah. And downstairs at the King's Head, yeah. Mark Merritt's gig in Muswell Hill, the Crystal oh, yeah, yeah, Arms. Yeah. So, because I knew all these guys from from London before, so they booked me. But they wouldn't have thought of ringing up and booking me because I wasn't around in London. Yeah. But once I let them know I was coming down, then I was able to get booked. I wouldn't have been. I wouldn't got booked in the comedy store because it's so long. How many, how many times would you say you gig a week at the moment? If you if we took away the the Sunday gig the, that you do regularly, two at the most. I mean, I would do more if I, if I could, but yeah, that, that'd be two probably. Yeah. What's, how come you do so few gigs? Because there's there isn't that many gigs up here. That's why that's there's not there's just not enough. You know, I mean, I don't go down south much because it's still. I did before. I did when, if, if I knew the the sorry the Edinburgh festival. I tended to go in a lot more because I was just wanted more stage time for stuff I was trying for the festival. But I mean, if I go to, I can do the Newcastle. I do I do the stand in Newcastle because they pay for a hotel and it's it's three three nights. You know, so it's worth it. But it's not worth my while going down to Manchester for a night. You right. know, because by the time I pay, I don't have a car, so I have to pay train and a B and B. So yeah, I might come up with 30, 40 quid or something, you know. Which is fine if I'm just there for stage time, but not from the point of view of paying the rent, you know. How are you staying afloat then by only doing two gigs? Or just about. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Um, and I also got, you know, some money from writing as well, so... Right. That sort of keeps me going, you know. So it's, a, I mean, is it paycheck to paycheck at this point? Even though you're quite established, and because it sounds like yeah. there's not that much opportunity, like yeah, for for gigs, you mean? For for for, I mean, it sounds like for. Okay, this is just the way I painted yeah, the picture yeah, from what yeah, you said. Yeah. Is getting stuff commissioned in terms of radio and and TV. Yes. Well, TV is very hard, and yeah. radio's not hard, so, but not, not, not so hard. hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if if you're only doing two clubs a week, on uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm just wondering how you. Well, make I mean, that work. I suppose in looking at this my kids are grown up now so I, I don't have uh, to pay for my kids and that kind of thing so yeah but if my kids are still around it would be very very hard <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. so I've just enough to carry on yeah. I say with the writing just sort of just ties me over yeah but um, yeah, I'd like to have a lot more. Okay, that makes sense. And you've yeah. just basically lowered costs to adapt yes, to yeah, yeah, to, yeah, to a large extent, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, and yeah. how how many writing jobs would you do? You, do you, I mean, obviously, you want to take on as many as possible. Yeah. How, how many do you have on? Let's say over the last year per month. Uh, well, it wouldn't be per month, I mean, it kind of because it wouldn't, wouldn't turn over that quickly. I mean, I had the I had the Channel Four thing, and then um, I had a couple of small things with the guy I write with in Glasgow. One was for television, and then we tried a radio thing as well, which didn't get through. And then we're, we're sort of writing another one at the moment moment and I've got the other thing for a channel for so I couldn't really say per month it's not like sort of gigs where you can say per month I have this but over the last year probably I suppose three or four only one page <laughs> one, yeah. one, one really paid well yeah for, for, for the the rest of this podcast yeah. whenever we talk about booking we're talking about paid work yes yes yes, yes, <laughs> just, yes. just to make it clear. okay right in, in, in terms of everything <laughs> yes yeah okay yeah. it's interesting that you because so for example at my, at my point of mm. being in this career mm. if someone says to me in Manchester we'll offer you an open spot yeah we can't pay your expenses do you want to do it right. it could lead to whatever yes yeah I'll tend to do it because uh-huh. even if it costs me you know 40 quid in petrol I know yeah because well you have to that's yeah. it I mean, if, you know, that's the way it works isn't it yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm just wondering it sounds like your mind set of it is I mean because if you're not chasing gigs and you don't know the rough how much they'd pay you and how much it costs to get there and stuff yeah. so so how are you are you just literally not looking at the moment for any new well I mean it's just I say 
there's no point in me chasing gigs because that's the way I looked at it because I mean, if I have to go to Manchester for one night and I come back with 30 quid I'm not really that interested to be honest how many how many gigs are there like as in clubs are there in Glasgow then there's not many I mean, there's, there's the stand I think I think Junglers I don't think Junglers exists anymore the Junglers was here for a while I don't know I don't really it's not really my sort of thing anyway Junglers I mean I'm not really I don't adapt my act to sort of stag parties and hen parties you know well, uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's all that you know and I'm not saying the acts who do Junglers are all like that I mean they, it, means that it means they can just adapt more than I can. So some very good comedians do junglers. It's not. I'm not knocking the comedians who do it. It just doesn't suit me. I I, I just sort of not really interested in sort of adapting to um, <laughs> just, just, just adapting. No. Um, that's interesting. Given at the start of this, you said mm. that junglers and the comedy store were the prestigious ones. Well, the junglers then was totally different. It was just a comedy club, like like any other comedy club. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't a stag and hen party sort of place. You know, it was just a. It was a room above a pub. Did you stop uh, playing it when it changed, or how? how it didn't change when. No, it hadn't oh. changed by the time it, it, it had moved. They they branched out to the Camden Town one of those Dingwalls. Yeah. It was highlight. Oh, yeah. So yeah. So no, it wasn't highlight then. They just just oh. jungle. It was just still junglers in Camden. But that, that's that's all they had then. So it hadn't hadn't changed to a national sort of club circuit thing. You know. So no, it was, it was just a, a comedy club. It was a well paid comedy club and with prestige, but it was still just a comedy club. Okay. And you were talking a little bit before mm-hmm. about the Edinburgh Fringe. Mm-hmm. And when when did you first go to the Fringe? In nineteen eighty. I think it was. And what was the reason for going then? The reason was because I was still managed by Vivian Clore and um, she also had a guy called Bob Mills on her books. <laughs> it, uh, it was sort of a double act with very sort of <laughs> ill-conceived kind of double act. Um, it was okay. It was just a bit jokey but it wasn't. I don't think either of us would think it was particularly good. You know? So she, she was kind of uh, finance, financing it I think. Richard Stone were financing it. So that was the reason yeah. And everybody was just going up. It was kind of like a party for 18 to 30 comedians kind of <laughs> so like you know that kind of um, there wasn't the stress of oh am I going to get a Perrier nomination really then didn't really care it was just a bit of fun you know? right that was the idea so it was kind of a management led uh, yeah, yeah 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 even though there wasn't an award or a, a thing that well, it, 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 it existed right. the Perrier but I mean, we knew we weren't going to get it so <laughs> <laughs> frankly um, that's the best way to go to Edinburgh yeah it probably is yeah 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 it takes the stress all away from it yeah. yeah and so when was the first year you went up as a solo just you I was 92 I think so, 92. Three, so you'd done three years with that double act yes yeah and yeah. then went up yourself yeah, well, it wasn't quite a double act I mean, it was we kind of did bits and pieces together and we both did stand up during the show so gosh, I shouldn't really call it a double act it was two of us though. right okay and we did a few bits where we interacted yeah I think okay. we did a song or something and yeah. when you went up was it you doing an hour that first time yes yeah yeah that's right yeah. and was yeah. that just to clarify uh, a free or paid venue it was what sorry a free or a paid venue it was a free fringe well, uh, no it was Gilded Balloon yeah the free fringe didn't exist then okay yeah, I think there that was the odd place where you could you know maybe book a room but there was no you wouldn't it was more or less the only people who went to gigs were either went to the Gilded Balloon the Pleasance or the Assembly really and what made you pick the Gilded Balloon over the because I knew Karen Karen Corner runs the Gilded Balloon I, I sort of knew her and she'd been down to London a few times and I'd met her and she's quite an effusive character <laughs> she's really nice she is, yeah, she's great, yeah. I, yeah. I, I interviewed her yesterday. Yeah. And yeah. a few people, like, uh, when I said I'm going to interview her, were like, yeah. oh, you're brave and all, like, she's... Nah, she's you know. fine, yeah. I'm like, she yeah. seemed fine with me. I yeah, mean, yeah. fair enough, I was recording something to put out about her. <laughs> yes, but, yeah, yeah. But even, even when we were off, Mike, you know, yeah. helped her sort out her iPhone and stuff, and she was yeah. fine with me. No, she's fine. She's really nice, Karen, yeah. I mean, I think she can, she has that kind of reputation that I suppose if you if, if you get on the wrong side of her, if you're that sort of person, then she won't, she won't sit down and take it, which is good honour, you know? I don't think yeah. anyone does, yeah. Really, yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. So that was why that's why I went to the Gilded Balloon. Yeah, yeah. And how how did you find you did that year? I did really well. I mean, it was. I, I know I got into the. I don't know how. I think it's the f- you get into the final twelve or something. Right. Before they announced the nominees, uh, but I got into the final twelve. Yeah. 
but then <laughs> not into the final six. And that, but that wasn't your uh, objective of going up. Well, it was partly then because it was becoming very high profile. Then you know, if you did get a Perry nomination, then it was kind of a would ha- would have heightened your profile quite a lot. Then yeah, not so much anymore. I don't think. I know it's not Perry anymore. It's lastminute.com. Yeah, yeah, it went from Fosters, I think, Perrios to Fosters, and but I don't think, I, as far as I'm aware, I don't know. You you, you can con- contradict me, but as far as I'm aware, it's not as prestigious as it was then. Oh, uh, what the Fosters? Or yeah. The, oh, sorry. The any, any, the, whatever the award is, yeah. I, I don't know if that one's any less prestigious. No, I don't mean that, that, but I mean, just over the years, it's kind of lessened in its amount of prestige it has, I think. There's a lot more awards, which I think has made yeah, possibly, yeah, other yeah. awards seem less. Yeah, that's that could be it then, yeah. But I think yeah. there are some awards that are still very coveted. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I imagine if there's less, because if there's less of them, there's naturally, you know, a supply and demand thing. It's yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. But then yeah. there was less comedians then, so yeah. there's always the argument, now there's more performers, should there be more awards for <laughs> yes. Yeah. everyone yeah, yeah, or yeah. should we just keep with a keep the same one yeah, yeah well I suppose there should be if there's more comedians gives you more of a chance doesn't it yeah, yeah. and do you, you still do the fringe now or? Um, I, I do it occasionally I'm supposed to do it this year but I can't someone else come up so I can't do it but uh, I haven't done it I haven't done a one man show for about five years I think and what is there just a reason for that or? it's just that I, nothing I haven't come up with anything I wouldn't just do a one man show just wouldn't just go along and do an hour of stand up just for the sake of it I'd have to have something that I wanted to do you know yeah I mean I, I, I don't know how much it costs to do a paid show it costs, it, it costs quite a lot, yeah. I mean, I know that I had a friend of mine do one last year. At, I think it was, I think it was the Gilded, and I think it cost about yeah. ten or twelve thousand pounds, yeah. including PR, the room, his accommodation, yes, yeah. everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I just think if you, that's a lot to spend in a month. Yeah, without yeah. having something to say or mm. a game plan for indeed. where to take it. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the last time I did, it, I think I lost about two thousand. It wasn't on the actual show, but on renting a flat. Oh, okay. So I, mean, I broke even. I think just about broke even with the show. But then I had to pay. I had to pay a, somebody to leaflet for me because I'm not very good at wouldn't really appeal to me I'm not really I'm not a sort of a salesperson so I had to pay a, a leafleter and I had to get my own leaflets done and I had to rent a flat so with those costs I lost about two, th- two grand yeah. would it have been I mean you probably did this on your own cost balance sheet but would it have been yeah. easier to come back and forth from Glasgow I did <laughs> oh okay I did, sorry I did once I did the year before but it doesn't really make that much difference because okay. they, they heighten up they put the fares up yeah. for the festival and, and you kind of need to be there you know yeah I suppose it depends on what time your show is whether yeah. you can make it work but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, one of those, it's one of those weird things that yeah. The more I talk to people who are involved in the fringe, especially mm. the Edinburgh fringe, I should mm. point that out, the more the only people that seem to make money are the people who own a business or a flat there. Particularly people who own a flat, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. 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 Who was it? Yeah. I think it was Hills Jaeger, uh, the Amused Moose owner. Yes, yeah. She said to me, I think it was her, she said something like, if you take your yearly mortgage for that yes. flat in Edinburgh and yeah. just that's what you charge for the month for that. Oh, month. totally, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, if not even more, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, which it's is, unbelievable, though. Which is a supply-demand thing, so I can't criticise them for being business. No, yeah, but a lot, 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 lot of people who own a flat in Edinburgh they rent it out for the festival and go on holidays on the basis of it you know? yeah 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 that's the holiday money yeah mm. no, good luck to them yeah no I thought about it yeah. myself I thought about yeah. getting a flat and then going somewhere <laughs> yeah. nice for yes yeah yeah, yeah. A month and stuff yeah, indeed, so yeah. Do, you, do you do any other do you do Glasgow festival then or I don't really because it's, you, you just have one night really so okay. unless you're doing it as a warm-up for the Edinburgh I tend not to myself now and also because I do the, the every Sunday even though I don't always do that much material because I'm comparing but I do I do do material sometimes and I, was, I sort of feel that you know, a lot of people would already know my material. So unless I was doing something totally new, I wouldn't wouldn't do it for Glasgow now. Would you, and and I know I'm putting words into your mouth here, so you can uh, rephrase it if you like, okay. but would you say that you have a bit of local celebrity here in, in Scotland? Um, probably because of the Father Ted thing, yeah, to a degree, yeah. yeah. Oh, I was going to say that, because in Ireland you definitely have that. Sort yes, of, yeah. And in... in um, Gla- Glasgow, Father Ted is hugely popular in Glasgow because there's a huge okay. um, population with, with Irish ancestry in Glasgow. Right. 
comes from the old famine thing because a lot of the famine ships, Glasgow was the first stop, so a lot of the people in Glasgow have Donegal ancestry because that's where it came from. So it's quite big. It, maybe not as big as in Ireland, but in Glasgow, yeah. Not so much Edinburgh, though, I wouldn't think. But certainly Glasgow, yeah. Oh, because I was also going to ask if your regular gigging of the stand, like you said. To a degree, I mean, I, I, I have a sort of a cult following, I suppose, mm. because of the stand, yeah. But maybe not, I'm not sure enough to kind of, not a huge profile, but it's enough to kind of get a good audience every Sunday, which is not the easiest night to get an audience, you know, because I've got to work the next morning. Do you have a mailing list, or I know you've got a Twitter account and stuff, like to yeah. keep in contact with the cult following that you, you're kind of cultivating? Or? Uh, no, I mean, I don't I, I do not do that. I mean, if somebody contacts me, I'll reply to them. Yeah. But I don't, I don't sort of do a publicity thing through Twitter or Facebook, no. I sometimes do gags put gags on just to see how they're going to go you know? but apart from that now I don't, I don't contact specific people or fans if you like you know? yeah well, I don't know who they are you know, to right. extent, you know? no yeah. I, d- I wondered if you if you were building a fan base somewhere that meant that if you wanted to put on a solo show it's yeah. a lot easier for you to contact people well maybe if I was then I would yeah yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd, be, I'd be a bit more active proactive about it yeah I mean what's your what's your main drive at the moment is it just writing I mean, my writing is my main drive at the moment right. yeah yeah okay. yeah, yeah. That's, that's what I'd like to do and I'd also write apart from myself yeah, I'd write a part in the show for myself you know always because I don't just I mean not necessarily a vehicle for me but I'd have a sort of a part in the background where I'd make sure I stood out <laughs> you'd be your own cameo yes yeah exactly yeah, yeah indeed yeah, yeah okay yeah, that's yeah, interesting yeah, yeah yeah. so everything you're writing isn't specifically like a as you say a vehicle for yourself it's, it's no it's definitely not a vehicle for myself no 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 so no, are no. you are you writing it with people in mind when you write or are you not really no I just kind of try to get sort of the inside of kind of a character and then think well yeah well that person might somebody might sue that yeah but I don't really know much people in the acting world I mean I know comedians but a lot of comedians aren't necessarily actors you know so it'd be hard to know whether what, what comedian would slot in you know because I think I think for a sitcom I think you really do need somebody who can act I mean I'm not saying any comedian can't if they can that's fine because they would have the comic timing to go with it but I think you need actors first rather than comedians if you know what I mean because I think with the Father Ted thing they did they wrote parts for some of the comedians they liked but it was just kind of one very specific part if you know what I mean I mean I was only in one, most, most of the comedians were only in, in one episode because they basically play themselves you know? Are there any TV shows or radio shows like that are c- mm. comedy based so either doing a set that you might go on like a fr- Friday Night Live or, or mm. Live at the Apollo yeah. that you have never never done or never been given the opportunity to do that you would love to do um, well, I mean the only, the only television stuff I know is Live at the Apollo I don't think, is there anything else I don't think there is uh, there's, no, I mean there's like quizzes and game shows and all that kind oh, of yeah, stuff Oh yeah I'd do them if I was asked yeah I mean uh, I, I, mean, uh, I like uh, I like Ed Ten Cats. I really like Sean Locke because mm, okay. he was kind of used to my he was, he was kind of starting the circuit when I was kind of uh, still doing it and um, mm. I like Sean Locke a lot so you can yeah you can you can come over very well in that situation yeah mm. so I mean, yeah, if I was asked to do it I would but I'm not going to be asked because you'd want to sort of already be high profile or in with somebody you know t- t- to be asked to do that but yeah I would, I would do it if I was asked yeah mm. but I'm not going to be <laughs> I don't, I'm not putting myself down I mean just you know in my situation you're not going to be would you would you think you'd do well on those shows given the environment that it is and the, the style that you do I mean it's, it's hard to know I mean uh, I was certainly give my best shot I think yes. I probably I probably think I probably could yeah because I am, my act is very gag based so mm. possibly yeah I, yeah. I, I would hope I would, yeah. If you started around the same time as Sean Locke, yeah. I mean, do you do you still stay in touch or anything? Or well, we weren't mates as such. I mean, we were friendly. I mean, I really liked him, and I think he liked me. But um, we weren't mates, so I don't really keep in touch with him now because I mean, I wasn't. He was. I wasn't that close to him when I sort of stopped doing it in London. So, um, but I mean, yeah, he's a he's a nice lad, and well, he was when I met him. I'm sure he still <laughs> is. <laughs> no reason why yeah. I, d- I doubt it very much. It doesn't yeah. look like he has. No. So, um, well, yeah. I'm, I'm only asking because you said that you you sort of have to be either in with someone or in with the 
production to get on that sort well, of I, d- I think being in with a comedian wouldn't be any use, you know. I think you'd have to be in with somebody who's on the production side of it, you know. And I think even if I was the best mates with Sean Locke, I don't think that means I would get on 810 Cats because it's not, mm. he doesn't produce, he's not the producer, you know. No, but I imagine... Mm. He could sort of put my name about, yeah. but it still wouldn't necessarily mean anything, I wouldn't think, you know. I mean, do you think that's, a, I mean, I think that's kind of an industry problem in general with the, with the like you said, yeah. TV's always, even from when you sort of, you know, the uh, early 90s, yes. late, late 80s, you were yeah. saying TV helps your profile. Yeah, of course. I mean, if it's yeah. so tied, well, I question, I, que- I know it does still, but I question mm. how much it still does given that people can build their own followings on the internet and people can... Uh, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe that is that, that is yeah. changing it to a degree, yeah. 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 Um, I, don't, I don't know, but I mean, I, it's very, yeah, probably internet, if, 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 if you've um, exposure on the internet, then it probably would work just as well now, yeah. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. But I said there was no internet, I mean, the, the internet wasn't even there when I was starting. Yeah, you, rang, right. you rang from a payphone. <laughs> yes, exactly, yeah. yeah. I think there, I think it was one of those. I think there was the odd mobile phone like that you know that Dom Jolly used to have in his yeah. thing. It was the odd one of those about, but uh, apart from that, and I couldn't afford a landline, so oh, well. that's why was, that's why I was in the telephone box half the day. <laughs> when I when I it was it Jeff Whiting when he yeah. set up Murph Control, he told me that he set it up from a phone box. Yeah, I could well believe him. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. It's bizarre. Yeah, I mean, I if, you know, needs must. You know, you can do it if you want to. Yeah. Well, that's what I think. Yeah. I think that's the general attitude for yeah. for a lot of performers now. Is it's yeah. like let's you know we've got a lot of opportunities. We've got a lot yeah. of tools at our disposal that we yeah. you didn't have five ten years ago yes of course yeah it's a lot easier i'm not, not knocking it i mean yeah, yeah so as much mm. as it needs must it's also go out and do it type. yeah yeah exactly yeah, and yeah, it sounds like you're doing that as well with your so you've written i mean would you ever self-produce like a radio show that got turned down you mean put to put it on the internet yeah. i might too do the um the one that was rejected by channel four if i can get some money i would possibly get a few actors together and put it on the internet yeah because it would it would suit sort of three or four minute blasts it wouldn't do a whole hour i don't think a half hour episode would work on the uh, internet people might lose interest but maybe well maybe 10 15 minutes probably be enough it totally depends on how committed they are and interested in your yes possibly well if you, I think you probably to build up to build up an interest then maybe you could yeah. do a half an hour then yeah once once the kind of word is spread yeah 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 and the teasers of the four yes yeah, yeah 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 that's interesting. so yeah i mean i'm not i'm not opposed to putting stuff on the uh, internet at all no yeah have you, you haven't done it yet, though? I haven't done it yet, no. no, no okay, no, cool. No, no. I can't really... I can't afford to produce something myself at the moment. It would still cost money. Oh, yeah, no, you still I'm, have I'm to aware. Yeah, yes, <laughs> I'm sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, um, so if, if, if I found that I had some money to spare without the danger of my rent not being paid then yeah I might, yeah, might consider yeah. it yeah, yeah, okay, yeah okay these are the last quick fire questions okay, I ask everyone yeah, okay. so the quick fire for me you take as long as you want okay, to answer right, okay, okay. Uh, what are the best books on comedy writing or stand up that you've ever read I haven't uh, done well apart from Stuart Lee's um, so a certain what's it called How I Escaped My How I Escaped My yeah that, that, that's the only book that I've ever read on stand-up comedy so that's the best one okay by default <laughs> by default yeah I've got him coming on soon I'll tell him that you yeah. said by default yes yeah, yeah, yeah. it is the best book you've yeah. ever read what is the best show you've ever seen best show you've li- ever live seen live show you mean I keep it vague on purpose so it sounds like Northern Ireland have scored I think <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I keep it vague well, on purpose so well, it can uh, be a live show a TV show a radio well, show whatever you want um, well my, my sort of inspiration I suppose in a way was, was Monty Python and or possibly going back further to Peter Cook and Dudley Moore I thought Peter Cook was a genius but yeah, my, my influ- people often ask me where influences were and I don't really apart from Stephen Wright that I mentioned I didn't really have stand up influences my influences were you know, the Goon Show initially probably and then Peter Cook and Dudley maybe even go back as far as the Marx Brothers because I loved Groucho's sort of one liners um, so it was mostly mostly film stuff that kind of inspired me really to, to go into comedy particularly Monty Python I suppose what's the biggest mistake you've ever made and how did you overcome it can't think of anything at the moment I might come back to it okay we'll come back to that yeah 
what is the most interesting thing you do that nobody ever gets to see? The most interesting thing I do that nobody ever gets to see? Don't, I d- don't be rude. I don't have anything to do with sex. I, d- I, I can't think of anything. I think I'm, I, I see myself as quite a boring person okay. outside of comedy, so I can't really... But, but, you know, not, nothing really amazing. The fact that I brought up three kids, mm. not single-handedly, but I mean, you know, <laughs> I, was, I was house husband to a large extent because their mum was working, so mm. apart from that, it's not really very exciting, but it's kind of different, <laughs> put it that way. Okay. Who is the most underrated person in the industry? As a comedian, you mean? Uh, well, normally yeah. I say someone in the industry, as in like... Yeah, just in the industry generally. But if you want to do maybe one comedian and one person in the um, industry... Simon Monnery would be my first answer. I'd, um, oh, you're comedian, yep. Yeah. Um, I mean, outside, the, outside of stand-up, I don't know many people sort of in the industry, if you like, if you know what I mean. Okay. Um, so I'd say Simon Monnery. Yeah. What is the biggest problem in the comedy industry and how would you go about solving it? Because comedy in the... Uh, well, it's, I, mean, I don't know how I'd go about solving it. Um, I think the, there is a bit of a monopoly with uh, the... Some of the agencies, a couple of the agencies, I, I don't want to mention their name. You probably know what I'm talking about. I don't want to get <laughs> sued by them. I think there's a, an element of the, there's a monopoly of them showcasing their own acts rather than, you know, if you're not, I think that they're also, because they're so powerful, they're signing people up, like sort of, you know, big football clubs sign up anybody with the slightest potential and then, you know, spit them out later if they don't kind of work out. So I think that possibly is the biggest problem at the moment well not you can it's probably not a problem for them or if you're on the books you know but it's probably yeah. a problem for people who are outside of that it's a bit of a monopoly i think yeah. i always play devil's yeah. advocate on this because mm. as a business move i can see why they do it yes yeah, yeah but i understand why it's a problem because i'm not on their books yes exactly yeah if you were you'd probably be quite happy yeah yeah uh, yeah i mean this is the mm. thing it's a bit like you know every valentine's day you yeah. go no oh, it sucks and then you get yeah. a card and you go it's great yes you yeah, know what i mean yeah. it's like that yeah, well, the, the the other thing is, uh, see, on the TV side, of, uh, as far as I can see, and this is not this isn't, isn't coming from any bitterness on my part. Mm. As far as I can see, television companies don't take much of a, a risk anymore on, st- on, on on sort of uh, scripts or sitcoms. It seems to be fairly safe, you know. Mm. I don't mean safe in the sense that I want something that's cutting edge, but they they kind of seem. I know the BBC repeated a kind of but four or five really old sitcoms, didn't they? They sort of started remaking them. I'm sure they must have scripts. I mean, I didn't send anything to BBC, but they must have some new scripts, surely, from some good writers. I can't believe it's that they haven't received anything new, you know? I think they're afraid, not specifically the BBC, but in general there's a fear, I think, to try something new, you know? Most uh, any production company I've spoken to has basically yeah. said they are uh, similar essentially. Yeah, that, yeah. That, and I even when I spoke to Ian Coyle, who who runs Dave TV, yeah, um, yeah. he said something amazingly similar where he was like, "I'm not really a commissioner; I'm an ad man." Because <laughs> yeah, because yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that's really yeah. honest of him. It was honest, but says it all as well. Yeah, yeah. 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 And it's yeah. the same with uh, Graham Smith, who used to be the commissioning editor of Channel Four. Right. He, he said uh, I had him on this, and he, mm. he was talking about the the risk aversion um, on mm. on the side of commissioners at the moment because. Yeah. Yeah. Their job's on the line. Yes, yeah, so so and so are the producers, yeah, and researchers, yeah. everybody, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's become high, so high profile, I think, yeah, there's the, the, you can see why, I mean, I can't blame them, you know, but I think that is, yeah. it is a bit of a problem, yeah. I've got 
two BBC Comedy Commissioners coming on soon, so if you have any questions for yeah. them, <laughs> yes. feel free to message me. Um, I'll bring it yeah. up with them. Yes, uh, yes, I won't yeah. tell them it was you, but yeah, I'll yeah. never hear them. Well, I do. Yeah. Oh, okay, fine. So Michael you must read some of Michael's scripts. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, so this is, this is a sort of split question, so yeah. but this is the end one. Um, okay. What is the best bit of advice you've ever been given? And it doesn't have to be something you've used. It just has to be the best bit of advice you've. Yeah, um, well, it was probably giving me too late. It's sort of just is to uh, is to believe in yourself and just don't sort of uh, take notice of any. Well, not so much not take notice of criticism, but take notice of constructive criticism. Mm. But if people are putting you down, don't let it affect you. Because you know? okay. I, m- I remember I used to get a lot, not a lot, but a few comedians would say like uh, because I was very gag based and I wasn't doing topical stuff I did get one, one or two comedians you know did try to put me down and say well you're very funny but it's just gags isn't it and I did take it personally at the time which I, I wouldn't now I mean it wasn't it wasn't, uh, it wasn't endemic it was just one or two over the years I mean most comedians are very supportive of, of me and of each other I think in general but one or two did kind of I think they probably resented the fact that at the time I was successful and they kind of thought, oh, you're, you're just doing gags while I'm trying to change the world. You know? <laughs> okay. I doubt if they ever did. Uh, well, <laughs> if, if, if you've not heard of them since that, <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, yeah. pretty sure they didn't. Yeah, um, yeah. That's, no, I know there's, there's sort of that split, isn't there? I mean, because mm. I, think, I think jokes can change your opinion or at least challenge your opinion on something. Yeah, to a degree. Yeah, but yeah. I don't. I think often you're preaching to the choir to the point of yeah yeah you're not yeah. going to change anything no because they're, they're there because they're kind of it's an underground club in a basement and they're yeah. not <laughs> you know they're not living in Mayfair and <laughs> you know yeah. working as stockbrokers so you're probably not going to change anything as you say you're you're preaching to a large extent to the converted you know mm. not that there's any harm in doing that you yeah know. Um, if you could give one bit of advice to a mm. comedian starting now what would it mm. be as m- many gigs as you possibly can just regardless of where they are and just because the the only way you're going to learn is by gigging over and over again and also the the other piece of advice is that if you if you do die in your arse analyze why you died was it because the room just might have been crap and it just wasn't going to work anyway or was it because you weren't very good some comedians i've noticed don't take that into account they don't take into account the fact that they actually weren't very good themselves and that it wasn't the room or the lighting, or the fact that the microphone wasn't great. That can that can be a, a, a cause. Yeah. I mean, the, I, I've done gigs over the years where I know this is pointless. This is just going to be crap, you know. Um, and it's nothing to do with me. But I've also done lots of gigs where I thought the reason the reason I didn't do that well was because I didn't deliver it properly, or that gag wasn't good enough, or such and such, or I didn't build it properly, or whatever. So you have to. I think you should, to a degree, without getting too paranoid about it, you should analyze yourself after you after every gig and say, firstly, even even if it was very good. Analyze why why it was very good. You know, was there was there a reason why it was very good rather than the last time I did when I didn't do very good? Always, always look at yourself constructively. I think. And uh, well, I'm I'm going to re-ask you the other question, then ask you the last question. Yeah. So, did you have a new thought of what your biggest mistake was and how you got over? It? Um, is this in life now or in comedy? Uh, usually, the answer comes to comedy, but I keep it yeah. again. I keep it vague yeah. on purpose. I mean. I <laughs> So the fact that it wasn't a dog. There's a, there's, a, there's a dog in the background, by the okay. way. Um, I suppose leaving London, that was my biggest mistake. I shouldn't have left London. But to go to Glasgow? Yeah, I should have just stayed there. Yeah, and just sort of, because even though I was kind of felt I'd come to the end of that kind of act, I should have worked something out. I should have been a bit more positive and think, well, I've done really well. So if that act has come to an end, then I need to develop something else, which I have over the years. But I should have stayed in London and done it because I had quite a high profile at the time. Once you moved away... People do tend to forget about you, you know. So that's definitely, yeah, the biggest mistake I made was 
leaving London, even though I like Glasgow as a place to live, but career-wise, yeah, moving Lon- leaving London was my biggest mistake, yeah. Have you thought about moving back? Yeah, I have, yeah, but it's um, because my kids are grown up now, so I could, logistically, I could move back here. But um, once again, it's not going to be like what I was, you know, I don't have that sort of thing where I think I'm going back to like what it was when I started, which it wouldn't be, because mm. even if I did get into the comedy store, I'd be doing it once a year, you know, and it's not quite the same as doing it every second week, which I used to do, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but there are lots of other gigs as well, though, so I don't know. Um, but the other, the other problem by moving to London is the cost of yeah. going somewhere to live. It's um, pretty uh, <laughs> it's almost standing. impossible now, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can imagine if you'd stayed and been able to either get... Yeah, well, I don't know if there'd been a controlled rent, but if you'd bought somewhere... Yeah, but yeah, I mean, yeah. I could have, could have bought somewhere in, at that time, yeah. So mm. that's... Yeah, on two counts <laughs> is the career and the fact that I could still could have a, a small dwelling in London if I'd, uh, mm. if I'd stayed there, yeah. Yeah. Usually the last question I was going to ask mm. is if you could go back and give your 20... Or, or, normally it's 20-year-old self, but yeah. if you would be 35 you started? Yeah, yeah. Your yeah. 35-year-old self before mm. your first gig, what yeah. would the bit of advice be? But would it be any different um, to what you... No, because I think when you when you, you need advice as you go on, but I think your first gig, you just kind of—it's a combination of terror and and belief, isn't it? You, you, right. you, you kind of think you, these all your gags are great because you wouldn't get up there otherwise. Mm. If you thought, oh, my third gag is going to die in its arse, you wouldn't you wouldn't get up there. You wouldn't do it. Mm. So I think you need advice as you go along, maybe, but not for your first gig. I don't think there's much you can tell people except just do it. You know. Okay. Well, thank you very much for coming. My pleasure, Simon. Yes. Thank you. That was Michael. He is such a lovely guy. He's he's so knowledgeable and so giving and just really cool. I really liked hanging out with him. And he just knows his stuff. He just knows what he's doing. And also, as always, as with all of us, he's playing each system as best he can. So I was trying to get stuff commissioned the right way or the way that they work rather than trying to go around it and make stuff online. Although... He did say he might do that. So I did like his take on building audiences, building a cult following, the way that he kind of didn't have a plan, but like knew when opportunities were worth doing. So that's kind of a nicer way of looking at things sometimes. I think that way you're not so methodical and clinical about your career path, but you're just excited about the project you're doing. And that's that really came through to me. And as someone who lives in London, I found it really interesting that his regret is leaving London because for me, I'm building a nice portfolio or... I don't know, circuit of London gigs that I do every 8 to 12 months, which I really like. But I've met people who've said, oh, I'm really looking forward to moving to London. And I don't necessarily recommend it because it's not necessarily the best place to be at the moment when you're starting out or when you're new. It's it's great when you're really starting out and you just want open mic space just to try things. But I don't know, may, maybe I'm doing it wrong. Maybe I'm not getting as far or doing as well as I'd hoped. But for me, I just, I don't know, I think... London's a great place to gig but to get out of London to get somewhere else if you live centrally is a really hard thing to do and once you've done all the clubs in London every 8 to 12 months you kind of put shooting yourself in the foot a bit but that's just that's just my take on it I, I, I might be wrong I mean feel free to talk to me about it in the Ask the Industry podcast group on Facebook I'd love to know your thoughts um, also do join anyway because you get to ask your questions to future guests and don't forget to subscribe leave us an honest review on iTunes and if you can afford it please do a PayPal donation as a one-off thing or you can do a Patreon donation for as little as $1 per episode do you think what you just listened to is worth $1 if so and if you can afford it please do donate if everyone did it it would, it would blow my mind for one but it would be amazing and it means I could put more time 
time and effort into these and I could put together some live ones that's something I really want to do but yeah anyway you've heard me say this a million times before and it's just a case of me trying to find more people who who can financially support it to keep it going so yeah thank you very much for listening thank you very much for subscribing and thank you very much for donating if you do and i will see you all in about 10 days time bye planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 